Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. We have a great program for you today. Leadership is hard, don't you know? Pastoring through divisive times is even harder. How do we lead well when criticized? How do we keep loving the church when hurt by the church? What does it look like to remain committed to the gospel and cultural division? Well, in his new book, seasoned pastor Jonathan Dodson comes alongside struggling pastors and ministry leaders to guide them into the comfort of Christ. But he doesn't stop there. Full of wisdom drawn from 2 Timothy, this book will equip you to lead the church with grace, charity, and spiritual power through divisive times. The name of the book, The Unwavering Pastor, Leading the Church with Grace in Divisive Times. And the author is... Again, Jonathan Dodson, who's joining me today. Brother, it's so good to have you back. So good to be back. Good to see your face. Looking forward to our conversation. So Yeah, it's been a couple of years, I think. I saw from our previous Skype conversation, a couple of years since we've had you on the podcast. So yeah. it's good to have you back yeah. about this book in particular. One thing I know, so I'll, I'll, I'll just share with our listeners up front. I endorsed the book, was very glad to read the book, very much uh, was blessed by it. And was happy to endorse it, but I discovered today, looking through a copy, an actual physical copy of it, that my endorsement is last. It's dead last, three, oh! three pages, and it's not alphabetical. I don't know, like, what's the deal, man? Why is why am I you know bringing up the rear? What's well, up with that? I'm, I'm, I, well, we got that to you after <laughs> you said I could come on the podcast because oh, we that knew that you might. Yeah, we, we knew that you might not let me on if you saw that the endorsement was last. Oh, so it was a, it was sort of a last minute squeak in. <laughs> sure. I don't know. You know, I'm not in charge of that. Um, but uh, somebody's I, decided I, I was the last ranked person out of all of your your endorsements. Who's the least influential? We'll put him at the end. <laughs> Jared, I love you. <laughs> I appreciate you so much. Yeah, okay. <laughs> your endorsement was incredible. Yeah, no, I should have said, so like your publicist emailed me today and said, because uh, they didn't know we were talking, actually. They didn't know we were doing this interview, and they were asking if I wanted to interview you on the podcast, and I should have replied, no, because you put me at the end of the endorsement. How about I put him at the end of the list? How's that? I'll put him at the yeah, end of the, of the interview list. If he's lucky. That's right. No, it's a great book. I I, I really enjoyed it, and I think it's um, you know, the subject matter is always timely. You know this. Most of our listeners will know this, especially if they work in, in ministry or serve in ministry. They know that the, the subject matter is timely. But it feels especially timely now, um, leading a church with grace in a divisive time. Why is now, you think, a very um, especially timely moment for this uh, for this book? Well, but now seems, seems to stretch further and further. The, yeah. the timeliness, unfortunately, you know, it was written, you know, I don't know, a year and a half ago. I don't know. It, it was written a while back. Uh, and, and it was timely while I was writing it. Yeah. And it, it's timely now that it's coming out. And it is, they're the obvious culprits of political division. You know, we just suffered through a shooting here in Texas, in Uvalde. And I was talking to a church member on Sunday, and he was uh, just clearly heavy, you know, worn down and said, you know, I'm just really having a hard time with the way Christians are handling this. I look at the right, I look at the left. They're hateful. They're hateful. They're, they're both claim to be Christians. You know, 
how can we make progress? This is not just, you know, and he was just so weighed down and he was kind of crushed by the, the, the hatred on both sides of the issue. And that's what happens in divisive times is that, that hate mounds up on both sides and that collides on anyone who is kind of in the middle and leaders are particularly in the middle because they are looked to for leadership through divisive times. They're also often scapegoats for issues on the right and on the left. And so the two kind of logs collide on the leader and, uh, it makes it very difficult to lead and pastor. So divisive times, I mean, I'm just going kind of deep on one, political differences and the uh, the acrimony and the outrage that accompanies those political differences make it really hard to lead the church. Yeah, it, it feels like there's something in the water right now. That's certainly the most glaring, I think, probably flashpoint for us. But the, the animus that's just sort of in... I don't know, in the congregational streams that is coming up with COVID and everything else as well. Um, It's interesting. Okay, so you started writing this book a year and a half ago, but so much of your, it it almost felt like, knowing a little bit of your story from the last couple of years, as I was reading the book, you're telling sort of the story of the last couple of years, almost like you were writing it concurrently with you know, you weren't reflecting back on something. It was almost like you were writing in the midst of things as well. Why don't you share as much as you you know feel willing to share a little bit about your story from the last couple of years, maybe, and 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 sort of your own confrontation with the heaviness of of ministry yes. life. Yeah, well, I had had seventy percent of the book written, and I was walking downtown towards our church building, and I felt this decoupling from the church internally, something that I never really felt. Been through plenty of hard seasons. Uh, Some of those are in the book, but uh, it was different. And I I called my elders and said, something's going on. And within a week, what felt like a decoupling became the snap of a rubber band stretched too far. Mm. And I felt as though there, there was no more emotional capacity to pastor people. I wasn't angry at God. I wasn't bitter at the church. I didn't hate the right or the left. Those those weren't the things. It was just complete and utter exhaustion emotionally. And so the thought of like walking into our church was harrowing. Hmm. The the idea that I would be responsible for people in a room that I walk into, I'd be responsible. I just couldn't handle it. I just didn't have it, you know? So, uh, then uh, 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 around that same time, we were kicked out of our downtown facility where we had been for 10 years. Um, so there was a tweet that was posted that, you know, you know why are you renting to these Christo fascists? <laughs> and uh, we were the next day got an email from the executive director asking us to leave. Um, and then that's all kind of tail end stuff after two years of you know, heart-wrenching pastoral work over race, sex, gender, politics, COVID, you name it. So, yeah, the the elders were great. They responded to me so graciously. I remember walking into our office, sitting down with them and beginning to explain. And they said, brother, let's just sit in the dirt with you tonight, you know, and, uh, and, and wept and prayed the slowest prayer I've ever prayed in my life. And I was met with a heavy 
real felt sense of the love of God, which was so comforting because I felt like I had nothing, you know, especially since the handicap was emotional to be met with God's love in such a felt weird way with such a grace. I was telling some other pastors about this and they said, oh man, you're so blessed. My pastors would have tried to patch me up and get me back on the field. <laughs> but, uh, you know, your pastors actually cried out with you and lamented with you. So, yeah, so that, that began kind of a two months of kind of forced sabbatical or leave in which I began to kind of unpack accumulated pain over the last two and a half years. And, um, and, uh, yeah, so, so that's kind of, you know, some of the story that I pick up with, you know, about a third of the book was unwritten. <laughs> so I was already, I was already dealing divisive issues, unpacking things. And I, I think Jared, that going back into old stories and old wounds and opening them up to help the pastor see how to move through that with grace and truth actually accelerated my emotional depletion. Mm. because you, you know what it's like to just revisit like an old pain from a friend. Like, it's like, man, you, you can get emotionally raw, even yeah. if it was five years ago. Well, I did that a lot. So I think, and I did it in an effort not to brandish my wounds, but to serve fellow pastors to say, I know it hurts. And here are some stories. Let's, let's explore what it looks like to move towards the church, not away from the church. And to do it not out of duty, but with a tender heart, with grace, let's do this together. Yeah. One of the things that struck me when we were visiting with you last fall, when you telling the story, was what you just shared. The Your you know fellow pastors, their willingness to just sort of sit in it with you, almost like sitting Shiva, almost. I mean, there's a grief there. And, mm. the, you know, like Job's friends in the beginning— they saw that his his grief was very great, so no one spoke a word to him. Uh, yes, that, that idea of just sitting in it with you that that really struck me. What else um, have they done, or other leaders, or your church done that that you have found helpful in in the last you know several months or during your sabbatical? What was helpful, and then maybe share with us some things because the key is really being proactive. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of us, if if our pastor or, you know, I mean, I, I've been in this situation um, as someone, you know, not a pastor, w- w- when someone's like, I'm, you know, they're waving their hand like someone who's, you know, drowning and, and you want to mm-hmm. go in and you, you want to rescue them. Uh, and that's great. You know, I want to make sure that, you know, that they're safe and they can recover and catch their breath. But I also like look forward and go, how do we make sure you don't end up with your head underwater again? Yeah. What are some things proactively also that we can do? So first, what else in the response was helpful for you? And then what can and should we do proactively for pastors going forward? Sure. Good, good questions. Uh, I mean, one of the things that they did is they gave me the two months off and they said, don't, don't do anything. Just do whatever you need to do. Hmm. There's no expectations. We got the funerals, we got the births, we got, the organization of the church. And it wasn't a convenient time. I mean, we just got kicked out of a facility we've been at for 10 years. Um, they're going through all the kind of flux and chaos also. So they were gracious and there were no strings attached. Well, if it gets really hard, come back or, you know, so there was a genuine gift of time mm. and uh, no strings attached. I also think, you know, they set aside a budget to pay for 
preachers to come in. So a lot of our elders preach, but I felt like they were going to be so responsible for all the shepherding that it would be a blessing. The congregation have guest preachers. You were one of those. And um, so that was a blessing, you know, to have, uh, you know, put aside some money for that and uh, to, to minister to the church and to me in that way. So I'm not having to, to do a lot of stuff. Um, <clears throat> another way is just a, one of those elders in particularly met with me uh, occasionally we, we touched base as a group, but one of them was, a, is a really close friend and uh, he was a good brother. He, um, he and I went to a lecture by Mako Fujimara where the Lord really spoke to me mm. and, uh, his companionship, you know, uh, when you feel really brittle or down or depressed, it's hard to get out of the house. Mm-hmm. It's hard to be motivated, you know, and this is a friend who came along and got me out of the house. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. and he got me out of the house to something good. And in fact, it wasn't just good. The Lord spoke profoundly to me mm-hmm. at that. And I actually tried to leave. I was there and he kind of made me stay. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, uh, the friendship, friendship is uh, from one of my elders, uh, you know, helping me get out of the house and help me pursue good things, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I was able to process what happened there. We can talk about that later want but with him in the car on the way home and one of the things that i realized is that a few weeks into this leave i kind of start start to see uh, i've cried i've asked for help from god i've lamented and then i'm kind of feeling like a little bit normal and so i'm like okay i've learned my lesson i need to get back on the field let's go and one of the things i learned is that I needed not only confront the pain, but I needed to honor the broken pieces mm. of my heart. And that required more time than I was willing to budget. It's almost like self-justification, like, hey, church, I learned my lesson. <laughs> you know, it yeah. was worth it to give me two months off. I'm coming back. Let me tell you about the lesson I learned. Yeah. And the Lord's like, no, we're doing some surgery here. Don't get off the table. Mm. Just be still. I've got some more work to do. And the language that I got from Akko was honoring the broken pieces of my heart, which is just a protracted time to let that. One of the phrases I said over and over to the Lord during that time was it still hurts. And I needed time to say that multiple times and to feel that and to be met by a compassionate weeping Christ. Yeah. In that, you know, I mean, it, it it very much strikes me as you know, sharing in in Christ's afflictions, being made like him, being made like the man of sorrows, and then even you know, this piece of of honoring the broken pieces or honoring the brokenness, even after the resurrection, right? Christ still bearing those scars that that's a mm. part of him and an important yes. part of him because he he ministers from those even in his you know, glorified state. He still ministers, from, yes. you know, from those things. Um, I want to come back to that proactive question, though, like, okay. um, and I know this is going to dovetail hopefully with, you know, specifics about the book, but what are some things that, that pastors can do? What are some things that congregations should be mindful of to sort of help? You know, obviously people are human, we're frail, but what are yeah. some things that we can do moving forward to sort of be proactive in, in protecting our our leaders? 
Yeah, I, I want to answer that, but I also want to push back a little bit on the question. I know that people okay. want, we're, we're, we want to avoid the train wrecks. We want to avoid. <laughs> well, the, preferably. Get, <laughs> yeah, but we even want to avoid get, getting off the highway. Mm. You know, we don't, we don't want to take the off ramp. We don't sometimes even want to pull over and take the scenic overlook. And God's like, hey, you got to slow down to see this glory and this beauty over here. And sometimes God wants you. It's it's like, don't avoid it. Lean into it. Like, this is by design. I'm, you know, Hosea 6, I'm going to hurt you Hmm. to heal you. And you don't want to, you don't, you don't want to keep flying on the highway. You want to pull over and get healed. You want to pull over and take down that pista of God's glory and grace that you would not uncover any other way than suffering and getting in touch with your own weakness. So, I mean, yeah, there are things to do. And the the funny thing is, like, I, I studied burnout, you know, my first five years of here in Austin. I was swore I'd never burn out. I don't feel like this was a burnout, but it was certainly a crippling and a, a being in touch with my own uh, frailty and, and weakness. But I mean, things you can do is pay attention to your energy levels, you know, like uh, the serotonin levels, the, um, the dopamine that you're taking in every day, you know, the, uh, are you exercising regularly? Like if, if you're losing energy for ministry on a regular basis, it's a little flag. You know, that you're, you're constantly being depleted and you're, that's registering in your body because you're, you're, uh, you're, you're constantly, uh, doing difficult things, heart wrenching things, and you're not getting the rest that you need physically, emotionally, you know, so that, that, that's like a, a flag, you know, um, is to pay attention to that. And if you see that, well, then take some time, get some rest, try to live a balanced life of rest and, exercise and spiritual, you know, communion with God. Um, so, so that, you know, that, that's a, that's a kind of warning sign. I think over the last two years though, a lot of pastors, you know, I, I mean, could I have prayed more? Absolutely. But I did take all of these people. Like I took them to the Lord in prayer. Um, there was a season where when I would wake up, go to the bathroom and begin to brush my teeth, a carousel of critics would pop up in my head. Hmm. And I had the choice to defend myself, knowing that a conversation is coming with these critics or to not defend myself. And initially I would try to, you know, it's like, wow, what a great way to start your day, you know, like, <laughs> you know and uh, I realized the counter defenses was not particularly edifying. And it wasn't endearing me to them. So the Lord quickly convicted me. And so instead, I began to pray for the people on the carousel um, and to pray that their heart would melt under the grace and love of God. And instead of trying to anticipate their critiques into martial defenses, um, I don't know that anyone would use, everyone would use that language, but a lot of pastors of the last two years have had a carousel of critics yeah. at a rate and number that they have never had in ministry. And if that hasn't affected you, I, I'd love to hear, uh, hear about that. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Who are you? What, 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 exactly. <laughs> what, what I'm saying is that healthy pastors 
um, can still get emotionally broken. And it's not that there might not be any, there's sin to repent of always, but, but the, the primary thing may not be that you're, that you've been sinful Hmm. or that you didn't have good protocols or that you didn't have uh, healthy rhythms in your life. It may be that you've just gone through an unusually intense time of suffering. Yeah. I mean, it's like someone being in a car accident or, or, you know, suffering from an illness of some kind. It's not, you know, it's not anything of their fault. It's, it's life in a broken world. It's being a, you know, being a finite person and, and doing a, you know, serving in a vocation that I don't know if the word is high risk, but it's, it's a heavy vocation. It's not the kind of thing that if you, if you do it well, it's not the kind of thing that you turn off at 5 PM, you know, Mm -hmm. you, you carry it around with you. So in some respects, uh, it just comes with the territory. It's, yes. you know, it's, it's uh, expected. You're very honest in the book. The book's called The Unwavering Pastor. You tell personal stories. You're very transparent, I felt, um, helpfully so. Well, why, why that approach? You could have written sort of a detached sort of, this is what, you know, this is what crises look like. This is what you can do. Yeah. This is what you can undo. Yeah. And there's a lot of books, as you well know, there's a lot of books out there like that, leadership books and that sort of thing, and even some pastoral ministry books. But the ones that always seem to minister to me are the ones where guys are really, you get a sense of their own heart in the book. Yeah. You know, Zach Eswine's The Imperfect Pastor is another one that, you know, it's sort of like that, where I just like, man, mm-hmm. this guy, you, you know he's lived it. So reading yeah. your book, like, not only have you lived it in a way you're living it, why that approach? Well, it's the, it's the wrong prescription (laughs) for for the malady. I mean, Mm. the incarnation is evidence of that. I mean, Jesus, God didn't throw a book from heaven. Uh, He placed himself in space and time and flesh and blood. He lived, lived in the neighborhood. He, he got dirty. He, he was wounded. He got hurt. He cried. This is how he ministers to humanity. So to leave to leave my humanity and treat it with logical analysis would be, uh, you know, it would not be following my Savior. You know, I mean, he's his full divinity, his full humanity. So I'm not leaning on divinity. I'm leaning on Scripture, Second Timothy, and then I'm I'm trying to bring my imperfect reflections, uh, my honest experience to to bear on these difficult issues. So. I don't think it was the right prescription and I don't think I could have at this particular issue. It was just so real and a felt reality that I felt compelled by the Holy spirit to include a lot of that, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that, that's, that's uh, certainly one reason why it's so honest. It's, it's tricky sometimes though, isn't it? Cause I, you know, I tell a lot of stories as well, personal stories and, and things. And do you ever wonder, first of all, you know, not about whether it's appropriate or not, but, you know, whether it's worth sharing that side, if, if people will think that you're, I mean, I wonder this by myself. Yes. Like, they'll think I'm whining or they'll think I'm yeah, absolutely. self-pitying or something like that. But that's not really the the purpose of it, is it? It's not, it's not no, catharsis. It's, it's not, but it could be. And there yeah. are books that are written like that. And I don't want to do that. Sure. You know, that's not the point isn't to brandish my sufferings or to run people down. And I was very aware of that. So I tried to 
tell the stories in the best possible way so as to not run down my opponents or critics, but at the same time to be honest about the broken, mm-hmm. uh, the broken, difficult, painful situations we find ourselves in, you know? Yeah. In a way, it's, it's a kind of redeeming of it, right? Like if this can be used <laughs> to minister to someone who is, you know, is facing that or, or will face that, young pastors who will face that, if I can tell this story, it's a way of almost repurposing it so that God can, you know, get some glory from it and someone could get some help from it. It's, it's almost a way of redeeming it, I would think. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in writing some of those stories, I, I tried to put myself in the critic's perspective and said, when they read this or if they read this or if they were to hear about it, would they say, yeah, that, that's pretty much how it went. Hmm. You know, I wanted yes. to write with integrity. Um, and so it was important to put myself not only in my own shoes, but in their shoes as I wrote those stories. But uh, yeah, I certainly hope that it's redemptive. I hope that the Lord has, you know, used these, is using these stories for his own greater purposes to bring comfort, healing, and grace into other, other people's lives. Yeah. Jonathan, what do you think that a lot of, I don't know a lot, but what do you think some congregations don't understand about pastors? What are some misconceptions? <laughs> I love the church. Obviously, yeah, I've been a pastor for. 20 yeah, I'm not asking you to bash, you know, to bash yeah. churches, but that's the in, in terms of the care and feeding of the <laughs> of the average pastor. What do a lot of congregations just not? A lot of know? a lot of even good church members don't realize that they treat the pastor as a spiritual or religious commodity. Hmm. What what do I mean by that? I, that that we are disposable in our relationship to them. So people have come into the church. They've wanted me to disciple them, mentor them, to dedicate their kids, which I think is a very, it's not a duty. It's something I do from my heart, you know, um, to do marriages. These are not rituals. These are relational things and they're spiritual things. And then, you know, uh, I say something, somebody online says something, and then poof, they're gone. Mm. Not not an email, not a phone call, not a coffee. They're just relational abandonment. I thought we were friends. Yeah. You know, I don't think that churches recognize that's how they treat us. And some of that is part of the role. I understand that. But I think there is an unhealthy disposability of pastors and clergy and Christian leaders in the church, because these same people often don't treat their friends that way. Now, some people right. do, yeah. but I'm talking about people who would, wouldn't do that to their friends. They would say, Hey man, listen, we're not seeing things the right way. Let's get a coffee. Let's talk through this. You know, they might even with their bosses, like say, listen, you know, I'm taking another job, but I've loved it working here. And like, you know, there's no, no, no bad feelings, but, but with the church, it's like, see ya. Hmm. Or it's a like, you know, middle finger email. Right. Right. Or a text, you know, it's like a text. We like bore our souls to one another. Right. And, and you're going to say, Hey, thanks for the last 10 years. Do you think We're that some here. of them, I mean, just thinking from their perspective, it, it is a careless and callous thing, but do you think maybe they're, thinking like this is making it easier 
<laughs> like if they have a, they're trying to avoid the hard uh, conversation because they don't want to hurt your feelings. Like in yeah. their mind, they're thinking, I don't want to hurt his feelings. So if I just quietly step out, I, mean, I that's what they think that they're is, doing. I do that is believe that is the motivation for some people. And also I think it's easier for them. Yeah. It's not just it's easier for me. It's easier for them. Yeah. The harder thing is to sit down and say, man, we love this church, but our family's in a different phase. Or the hard, even harder thing is to, to, to look in your heart and go, I want to leave for the wrong reasons. <laughs> right. And I don't want to be caught. I don't want to be caught in that. I want to follow convenience. Hmm. I don't, I don't want to go the hard path of take up your cross. I want to go sit and have my kids have a playscape. And I just want to show up on Sundays and not have to serve and then get to do my thing during the week. One thing I think COVID exposed is how many folks weren't really covenanting with communities, with, with people. They were covenanting or contracting with an experience, with, mm-hmm. you know, the particular vibe of the church or whether it's the, the music or even the preaching or whatever it was. It was the experience that they were committed to. And when that got interrupted, it m- makes them go, well, I need to go find the experience. It wasn't a people that they were you know, connected with or covenanting with. It was this version of church, you know, almost the commodity aspect that you were, you know, just yeah, alluding to. That's a good way. You know. to, yeah, that's a good way to put it. And, and and not everyone that leaves is bad or doing it sure. wrong. You know, there, you know, it's, uh, there, there are times to leave a church, but there are ways to leave a church. Yeah. You know, no, you're right. And uh, yeah, I think COVID, yeah, I think COVID did that too, is there are folks who were already kind of one foot was out the door and yeah. these circumstances just kind of gave them the opportunity to finally make that exit that they were struggling to make for whatever reason, good, bad, or, you know, indifferent. COVID sort of pushed the door open for them. Absolutely. You know, yeah. And and I don't want to be too hard on anyone that, that left during that time. It was a very difficult time for all of us. And then you had three major issues with lightning rod events, you know, of race, sex, and gender, you know, uh, the murder of George Floyd, you know, and there's so much online animosity that agitated and like, it's just a lot to go through for all of us. And people are trying to answer questions that they haven't really answered before. They're trying to do the right thing. So people, you know, we're dealing with a lot during that time and maybe some of their views changed uh, genuinely, authentically. And if so, then yeah. let's align with a church that now aligns with, with what you're thinking. Yeah. How does the unwavering pastor help? What, what are you hoping, what is your prayer that when someone picks up this book and reads, what's the, I hate to use the word takeaway because I think it goes against the spirit of the book really, but yeah. um, how do you hope that it will minister to those who, who read it? I hope that a, a Christian, a pastor, a leader will feel known, hmm. like in, in some of the deepest places of their soul. Known? As though there was another pastor there putting their arm around them and saying, I know it hurts. It's not wrong to feel that hurt. Maybe even for some pastors, leaders to cry as they read it because the stories elicit surface their own buried stories. But in the process, also uncovering not my arm, but really the arm of Christ, the arms of Christ holding them up, allowing them to kind of collapse in his presence and to experience what I have experienced. And that is a, a Messiah who weeps with you. 
who doesn't say, learn your lesson, get back on the field, but says, let's honor the brokenness. And uh, I was so moved by that myself, that, that aspect of Christ. The Christology, you know, doesn't make it into the Christology too often, you know, the, the weeping. Yes, the suffering on the cross, but the lamenting Christ, the weeping Christ, the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, the one sorrowful even unto death, the emotional pain of Christ. I want them to know that Jesus is right there with them, yeah. weeping with them, loving them, holding them. So, yeah, so I, yeah, that's kind of the two things. You know, I hope that I'm able to meet them, but more importantly, that Christ is able to meet and redeem and to heal and strengthen them. You know, one of the things that I frequently remind my uh, pastoral ministry students about as we look at First Peter 5 and, you know, Peter's admonition and, and almost sort of, you know, his addition or his uh, echoing of the, of the qualifications for the pastorate, he describes in that passage, he characterizes pastoral ministry as suffering, you know, and, <laughs> and, and, and after you have suffered a little while, right? Um, and I, I really want to drive that home is like, he, he's saying that the nature of pastoral ministry, now this isn't like to be sad sacks or, you know, but he's, yeah. he's saying the nature of pastoral ministering is is to be is characterized by suffering, to share in the sufferings of Christ, to help others who are suffering, to minister to them, that it that it's a load that you're carrying. And so he's not holding out the the gospel of success or the the, the hope of accolades or or acclaim or anything like that. He's holding out the unfading crown of glory, like after you have suffered mm. a little while. The chief mm. shepherd himself will reward you. Amen. That's you know that's the goal um, um, you know to hold out. And your book, as I read through, I just thought this is one of the rare you know pieces of pastoral literature that gets that that gets at the nature mm. of ministry um, is is this way that it's about not just experiencing life as a broken person, but being on the front lines of other people's brokenness. Mm-hmm. And, and and how to minister not from a place of achievement or ambition or mm-hmm. I've got it all figured out, but to minister from a place of you know the power of the gospel through your mm-hmm. own through your own brokenness. So uh, you know I you know I share your hope for that um, you know for your book, and I think if you know those are you know who are listening, if if any ministry book I've read in the last few years you know can do this for you, the unwavering pastor is the book that will do it. Um, brother, well, you know, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for those kind words. It's so encouraging. We were talking right before the podcast, and I mean, we mentioned it in our conversation here, but just, so I'm five months on the other side of all this. Yeah, I've had my fair share of, you know, pastoral heartache already. And I feel lighter in ministry than I've ever felt. Hmm that the emotional weight is not attaching to my soul the way it used to. And I've, I've thought about why is that? You know, cause like the afterburn effect of, you know, two months off is, is not going to last <laughs> five <laughs> months and the, the things that I'm going through. And I think part of it is uncovering the heart of Christ for me in all of that at an existential level, like not just a notional, but, I have seen Jesus' love and and uh, empathy for me at such a deep level when I had nothing to contribute 
that I have an instinct to trust him when the hard things come. It didn't, it, I believed I could trust him before, yeah. but there's an instinctual trust yeah. that has come from having been that close in that difficult and sorrowful a place that I know as I move out and I'm getting battered again, Oh, he is for me. Yeah. Yeah, your, not just your pastoral impulses and instincts, but just your spiritual impulses yes. and instincts are shaped by having bottomed out, yes, and finding yes. that Christ is good and sweet and and there, you know, present. That's that's wonderful. Tasting that reward that Peter is talking about. It's mm. an already tasting of that reward and strengthening me for further affliction and difficulty. Right. It's a good word. Yeah. And it's a good book. The Unwavering Pastor leading the church with grace in divisive times. It releases July 30th from the Good Book Company. You can order it today, or if you're listening to this after July 30th, I think this comes out maybe a week or two before that. Uh, make sure you order it from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Christian Book Distributors, wherever good books are sold, you can find this book. Jonathan, as I said before, thanks so much, man. It's always great to talk with you. We need to have you on more often. You need to write more books, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate you. I, I love you, brother. Thank you for your ministry. Thank you for the opportunity to chat about this. Thank you for um, leading us in, in pastoring through your writing and reflection and honesty. So it's great to be with you. Yeah. Dear listener, if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And as always, until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.